Welcome back to the Get Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Credit. Alongside me, as always, is Grant. Grant, how you been, pal? We've had several weeks off back to back, but we, you know what? We're still here. We're still hanging around. Life has gotten significantly busier when we can't travel and go to meetings and we're back in the office full time. We didn't realize how much time we didn't have. I'd agree. I'd agree. I, we're evolving the pod, right? We're figuring out our rhythm. I think a book, uh, a book deep dive is eventually where we're going to go. I didn't realize I'd be as busy as I, actually, I should have, I should have known it, but I didn't think it. And now I'm living it and I'm realized, man, time is incredibly valuable. An hour to this pod. I mean, I can give it and I want to give it, but it's becoming easier to choose other things. No offense. Uh, but it's our schedules are, t- you I mean, you travel a lot. I don't travel as much as you do, but, uh, we're back on it. That's all I care about. I'm excited for this one. That we're, I don't, it's not, I don't have time for that. I haven't been willing to make time for this um, because there's just a lot of things going on in life. Yeah. I knew this would be back. I knew you'd come back to it. I really enjoy doing it. It's something I, I have a lot of fun. Um, and you do a good job texting me, but yeah, I've been traveling a, a lot more than usual and it's not slowing down at all, which is good. Uh, it's exciting, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm glad to be back. So, what's on the what's on the topic? What's the topic for the topic of the agenda today? Yeah, hey, real quick, we're gonna get to a thousand push poll ten years from now. We'll hit a thousand. I'm 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 sure of that. Thousand yeah. episodes is what I'm referring to. Uh, what's on the agenda today? So we recently read a book. This is something I did probably December January, and it was just a really cool book. Uh, the name of it, Wanting: The Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life. Uh, author Luke Burgess. Um, just a great overall book. Definitely psychology based, marketing based, uh, influence based. Uh, it has a lot of just psychological aspects to it. Uh, well, how do we start off? You you read it. Give us the clip notes. What do you? What's your overall take? And we'll dive into some topics. I'm just gonna the, the overall theme of this book was like, why do we want the things that we want? Um, and Burgess goes, you know, he dives into the philosophy of Rene Girard, a French philosopher who spent his life understanding and writing about like the human condition. And it was really interesting to me. And it's, we also like read the psychology of money um, several months back. And it kind of reminded me of some things in terms of like, why do we want the things that we want? And in the psychology of money, it's like, well, you don't actually think that guy driving the Lamborghini is cool. You'd be like, how cool would I be if I was driving the Lamborghini? So that guy serves as a model. Now you might find out, you might dig a little deeper and figure out what that guy does or who he is. And then you model yourself after him thinking you will get to drive a Lamborghini. That's just like one quick little example that struck a chord with me. And I, I, I thought it was just incredibly interesting and eye-opening. Like, oh, well, now I understand why I might want something. And I could see it all over the place. I'm like, oh, yeah, I probably want that because of this, or I want that because of that. Given your background in marketing, what did it what did it kind of mean to you? And, and what, what are some of the things that it struck a chord? It was a fun topic. It was, uh, it was definitely in my wheelhouse as someone who spends a lot of time in marketing in my day job, in my career. A lot of it's based on data. And the data alludes alludes to just trends and things that you need to start catering a lot of your messaging towards. And you, you're actually starting to hear this word a lot more in societies like storytelling. People who can do storytelling, which are marketers uh, and content creators, what you often see on like YouTube and whatnot, uh, those are becoming the most valuable people in the world because all the noise that you see in the world and all the the convenience of apps and and how you speak to people. It, influencers are still the best way to do it is what I would say. And then marketing and influence and influential marketing, like you see celebrities, uh, sports entertainers, anybody who has a platform who's general, who's perceived as good looking and has a ton of money. That's just kind of like the, they call it the American dream. Uh, but it's basically you're selling the dream to everybody, but you're giving them the reality of you're just kind of serving them what you think they want because everyone sees it on TV and there's all these traits that you, you know, like you're a guy, you see, uh, Who's the guy? Like Leonardo DiCaprio is a good example. You see him, you're like, now he's an awesome movie star, but he's like single and he's just like, he gets like five girls a day every day. And you think about that and everyone's like, I want to be Leo. So I'm going to go into acting because I'm going to become a Hollywood star. When in doubt, you're not really good at anything in front of the screen at all. And your, your other core competencies maybe are screenwriting or you're just maybe you're not even into the whole arts at all and you're into science. So I think the cool thing about marketing and mimetic desire is it tries to play 
it's evil in a way, but it tries to basically tell you what you want without you even understanding what you want. It just basically chooses the option for you. It's an interesting concept and desire method, and it's hard to crack. And people like TikTok, people who use TikTok can't get off of it. It's a very disciplined method against undisciplined people. I, I'm not going to say I disagree, but I don't like the word evil when you say um, this is what it is. I, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm picking on you because you dropped it in there. It is, I, I did, yeah. It's, it's not that it's evil. It's the rules of the game. And, you know, if somebody can't guard the pick and roll in basketball, you run it. So you do these things. Um, you, you, you led on to a couple of examples like Leonardo DiCaprio. I think one that's going around specifically in our generation in my world is like running your own business and starting to be an entrepreneur and yada, yada, yada. And I, I noticed this in myself and I found out, okay, you cannot just do this to be an entrepreneur and to be a successful business person. You have to love whatever you're doing. You have to be like enigmatically, like absolutely balls out bananas deep into like wanting to solve this problem because Running a business and building a massive corporation is incredibly challenging, and you're going to face way more uphill battles. And therefore, if you don't understand what you actually want, and it's not something you want, and it doesn't actually fit your model, or you're trying to fit yourself into a model better yet, you're not going to make it. And that's what a lot of people are doing. They're trying to fit themselves into a model, and they are being drugged around by social media, by outside influences on what they think they want. You see this in people when they can't make up their decision and they can't make up who they want to be. They're like squirming and they're just lost in the sauce and the, and the tumble that is everyday life. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It's not evil. It's just, uh, it's easy to play against a gullible person who, you know, is narrow-minded and has all, or sometimes a narcissist. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm full for it. I, I lean way into the, the practice of it because it's great. Cause not only does it drive numbers and revenue, but it's uh, sometimes it's great for progress. Uh, and I just love business and I love the fact that you can sell someone something that they want and can see themselves in up to them not taking the action is up to yeah I mean that's the failure on their part here's what it, what it talks about I'm going to use an example you know it talks about mimesis models and the romantic lie I was really fascinated with the romantic lie because I tell myself this all the time the romantic lie is the common belief that we have full agency over what we want and do in our lives but we don't like we just we 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 have probably some autonomy. We have some choice in the models we choose, but it it is the belief that we are rational and independent people who create and pursue the desires we choose. It's not true, and I've had to like I've had to step back and say, well, what's driving myself? And I'm still on a journey to kind of figure out like why am I driving? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? And a lot of it's to impress fake people on the internet that I don't even know. I think a great, but a great answer to that is I, I guess when I was in high school, I went to college. I never thought about going to college. Uh, you just did it because everyone else was doing it. Not because you, it was the right thing to do. So you did that and you went to college and you understood that four years was four years. And you should refine yourself and try to find a job after that. But all the things that I chose within the process, like getting into marketing, I went, I went into like accounting. I kind of just threw an idea at it. And I was like, finance and accounting. And the moment I went into that, I was like, I don't want to do this. And then I just like, there was a girl I liked, went into marketing, ended up just loving the idea of marketing. And then you just kind of, I was following certain patterns of things I liked in people. So it was, I guess it was shaped uh, for me, less out of, less in my control and more in the control of, you know, the thing, the influences in my life that I, I put on my Mount Rushmore, more or less. Yeah, I think uh, college is a really good example that you just used there. I, when I started in college, I was like, I'm going to be an aeronautical engineer. <laughs> Not a how, quick, how quickly was that? Like, all right, all right, let's just. just. Right, that sounds way cooler than what it is. Like, oh, you're going to be an astronaut. You can do anything you want. Well, 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 let's settle down, guy. You got to like doing it. Yeah. And then I was like, I'll just be like a gym teacher, a health and PE teacher. <laughs> and again, wasn't like into that. And I was dragged into this. You know, my, my girlfriend at the time made fun of me. He's like, I don't want to be married to a gym teacher. I'm like, man, fair point. I get that. I love gym teachers. Darren, where you at? Yeah, I love it though that is an example of like i didn't know really what i wanted to do so i like model i was like all right well what's around me like she's going to the business school that seems like something i would be good at talk to my mom I'm like oh my mom's you know a really good businesswoman and traveled around and did a lot of this and met with a lot of customers i was like i like hanging around people i mean that seems like something that i would be into you know business like sales stuff like that and you're right a model is what got me there you know probably my mother is the most you know, key model there where I was just like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just 
I'm supposed to go to college. I'm here. Now what do I do? And luckily I got to the, the right direction. I ended up meeting people who had similar models in terms of, all right, yeah, I do want to make a bunch of money. I want to be really successful. Yeah. And that's, that's part of where we're at now, but that's exactly the point of the romantic desire. I didn't choose that for myself. It was, there was a lot of uh, bumpers and guides on the way. And I was going down a channel and they're like, nah, I should probably go back there based on these um, kind of hidden I don't know. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like hidden, hidden yeah, bumpers. Uh, yeah, whatever. Bumpers was good. I don't need to try to make another metaphor. Yeah, that was a good one. I know what you're saying. Absolutely. So when they talk about, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those that influence you. You don't really understand them in the moment. Uh, well, specifically, you actually have to lean into them. So if something's telling you to go the other way, I think you're always self-aware enough to be like, all right, uh, clearly I shouldn't be going on that path. Some people just keep going down it and just screwing up and screwing up. And it's like, all right, at some point, it's a, it's a you problem. Uh but where did these desires come from? So I think one thing, me and you are looking at a recap now, but one thing I, I loved is I outlined what the world thinks, which is, you know, how to get to these desires is you see this person, you desire that and you have to go get the object, but how it actually works is this. There's the person, you see the desire, you throw the model in there and then you get the object. And the model is just like that enhancement of a desire. Uh, essentially what you have is a process from A to C but they're putting in something incredibly desire to get you desirable to get you to finish the last lug and make the purchase. Uh, it's, it's classic marketing one-on-one and, and it's done really well in a digital model. Go ahead. An example is most people think it goes person, Josh, desire, successful career, nice car, object, performs well at his job, drives a G-Wagon. Okay. That's, that's what I would like. Then I have to take a step back and say, all right, person, me, desire, does well as job, nice car. The model is now, what is the model? And who is a successful business person? Well, now it's the president of our company. I, I want to model myself and look, I, I talk like, I, I don't say I talk like him, but I model in, in terms of how I address people and think through problems a lot like he does and try to model my success that way. He drives, let's say a Porsche or an expensive Audi. Let's just say mine's a, a, a G-Wagon, but there's a model. And then that, that produces the object. It doesn't stop there. I didn't have this all through my life. Again, I think when I started school, I was like, oh, or when I started my job, I was like, I don't really want to do this. But as I spent more time around these people, you pick one, you pick somebody that you're around the most and you try to model yourself. And that's like, all right, that's the type of, I'm not saying you want to emulate that person, but that's the, the framework of how I want to get or how I want to live my life or where I want to be in the future in my life. That's a good career-driven uh, way of looking at it. I, I agree. You got into a profession you didn't fully love. Uh, but then I think as long as once you're in an environment and I think if your income starts to grow as well and you start to get luxury, it's harder to go back. So then like you model your behavior on the people that are all making money in your current career. And then you see kind of the top of the spectrum, like this guy's making X amount more than everyone else. And he's doing something that I'm already doing. Uh, so I'm going to model. He's going to be the object that I want to mirror my behavior after. Go ahead. The one example I really liked is he talks about ordering a drink at the bar. Mm -hmm. How often do you see this? You walk up to a bar, you know, me and you go up to a bar or you have a waiter comes to the table and you're like, ah, I'm not really sure. And then oh, you're in a group of people and they're like, oh, I want this. Um, and then everybody's like, yeah, I'll have that too. <laughs> That's a clear example of yeah. mimesis at work. It is. I walk up, you know, here, here's a here's a game to play for all the listeners out there and grant for you as well next time you're at a company event that there's like cocktails involved walk up order the walk up with a group of people order the cocktail you want like know which mm -hmm. one you have either you know by the way this is just good life advice never be the yeah. guy that ho and hum hum ho hum uh, uh, like, oh, i want this this is what i want oh you don't have that i want that done like there, there's your two answers and watch how many people order the same thing. It's, it's going to, it's hilarious. I'm telling you, it, it's something that works through life. And that's just a simple, small example. Yeah. I mean, we do it with each other. Every time we go to a bar and order a drink, one of us says old fashioned, the other one's getting the same thing. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, definitely. It was a great example too. I, I can't say, I mean, the example they use is this guy's drinking a beer and his buddy orders a margarita and then he wants a margarita. I can't ever say I had a beer and wanted to jump to a margarita. So to me, that was a horrible example. I was like, you got tequila and you got a beer. I was like, come on, what's, where's the transfer? Uh, that's a big jump. <laughs> but anyways, uh, what else you got on that? Actually, I had a quote. Go ahead. So I had this, I had this quote I wanted to ask you about. So he, this reflexivity and it's about George Soros. And I know you're a George Soros uh, 
don't know if you're a hater. I know you know who he is because of the alchemy of finance and you're, you're a finance wizard and someone who studies it and reveres it. So George Soros is a common name you see amongst the elites. Uh, he had a quote in here. He said, people worry about what other people will think before they say something, which affects that what, what they say. In other words, our perception of reality changes reality by altering the way we might uh, otherwise act. This leads to a self-fulfilling circular circularity, essentially making, like when you think negative, everything's going to be negative. So when you think rich, when I say think rich, when you're thinking about that mindset, you often accompany yourself with that mindset. Anyways, what were you going to say? No, I was going to. What do you think about the quote? You're a George Soros guy. Pile on reflexivity. I think this is a, a, an excellent situation where people think too much about what other people are going to react. I mean, we talked about this. We were driving home the other night from a casino trip, which was very miserable. Actually, it was a lot of fun. Didn't work out financially. But we're talking about if you sometimes you have, well, for me, I'll lay in bed. I know you're, you're part superhuman and you can go to bed right whenever you want. And I'll be laying in bed and I'm like having a conversation where I'm like, I need to discuss this with somebody, but yeah, I'm playing the conversation. So I'm changing what I'm willing to say because I know what they're going to say back. So I'm trying to play this, you know, invisible chess game through a conversation. That's incredibly challenging. Instead of just saying, all right, well, here's what I, what I want to say. Now being in management, you have to, you have to codify what you're trying to say without coming off. as like, Hey, we got to do our job better. Uh, you're just not cutting it. You know, that that's yeah. that's stupid. Like, you can't say those things. So you have to like manage like because if they do shut down and quit on you, that's that's one example of the re reflexivity. Or I have a crazy idea, but I think these people are going to think I'm nuts, so I'm I'm not going to say it. The old compliment sandwich. You know, if you say something negative directly to them, and you can't just be real with them, they have an objective reality. They got you know they're just going to lose steam. Uh, you have to be you know impactful and positive in the way you word it. Which yeah, it's a great leadership tactic. Don't get me wrong, but People are all coached differently, but yeah, to your point, I, I, I work with a ton of people now and I would tell you they're so different in so many different ways. And, and you don't even know, like you can't, you could judge at first, but over time you realize some want money, some want fame, some want recognition, some want a title. Uh, some just, just want to work hard and be paid alone. Like there's all those factors that you go into meeting people and people are just, there's just so many layers to it. Like an AI robot can never, well, it's doing a good job on TikTok, but it can get close, but I don't ever have, I, I talk to myself all the time in my mind, but I can't ever put myself in the other shoe. I put myself in the other shoe, but it's hard for me to understand that. So I always try to speak last. That's basically what I do in every one of my meetings is I always speak last because I want to hear everyone's opinion. So I have the most information to make a decision it has nothing to do with what you're talking about. I love it. It's good. We're trying to give out <laughs> tips and tricks here, trying to live a better life. And this is just a model. Maybe I'll model myself after that. I'll this is though, one. this is crazy though, because this is the type of people that think superstition exists. And I'm not a fan of superstitious by any means. Like someone's like, if you think seven on a crap table, we're just going to roll seven. I'm just like, well, mathematically speaking, yeah, I, it has better chances. You're right. So <laughs> you're like the guy's like seven, 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 seven. Yeah. seven. <laughs> Have you ever said it at a table where you're like two away from the all talls? I mean, how upset does everyone get? Oh my gosh. Now what I do is like, we'll play blackjack. And if they have a five, I'll be like, you got a six underneath. Come on, show a six and a 10. Do it. Do we have it. a good, we have a good friend named mush and he cash it is his phrase that he'll say one minute left into a half when we're up 13 and still lose the game. Cash it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So I, I want to go on. back to the, the models and you know, there's two types of models it talks about and you have they call it celebristan and freshmanistan to make it like a, a country yeah. but it's basically external and internal external are the models that are distant in time space and social status like we we feel like comfortable openly imitating these people so like when i oh josh you know like what, what you know what makes you so su successful you know genius billionaire playboy philanthropist that yeah. is tony stark right that is an external one i'm never going to be that that's something fun to kind of emulate and when we did a superhero theme for my late nephew, everybody showed up in like suit or not uh, like Superman gear and Captain America gear. And I just showed up in a blazer and I, like, what are you? I'm like, ah, I'm Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your typical Tom Brady, Kanye West, you know, just those type of just elite level uh, personalities that it's just, they're kind of dreams. They're, 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 all, they're almost so romanticized like Jordan that they'll just never be able to fill, fill those shoes. So of course it's unrealistic. So it's, you don't do apples to apples.
Yeah. And then the, the next one is the internal ones, which we've gave good, good examples. I think we probably model each other in certain ways that we don't know it. Some that we do. The other ones are, you know, the mention, I just mentioned the president of our company and you probably have some people in, in your industry that in your company that you're like, yeah, I, I kind of, I, you're picking pieces. It doesn't mean you're modeling, like modeling does not like mean copycatting. It is no. a framework of how you address and approach your life and what more importantly, what you desire. You know, I desire the outcome of the president of the company. That's a good way to say it. And I have just a collection of people that I work with on a day-to-day basis. There's probably, I can't name the number, but I bet you, you know, almost in double digits around the office that I'll have a quality that you revere that you try to adopt and model to your point to make it your own, right? So when you have all these models as a collection of all these people that you revere a certain aspect of it, that's kind of what you want to become well-rounded, approachable, likable, uh, driven, you know, be a learner, carry all those things. You know, you, if you get those, that's that's the equation. But ultimately, you're modeling a lot of different behaviors around you all the time. I very well put. The moving moving on to the next. I'm just going to kind of keep walking through this. I think we kind of hit that one pretty. That one's pretty straightforward. The next is like the mimetic desire and how social media works is what you've you've kind of oh. expressed already. Um, there's two different like cycles of mimesis and mimesis is a big word that's used. I just want to go back and just repeat like mimesis is a sophisticated and often secret form of imitation that determines much of what we want and do in the world. You know, you have the negative cycle and you have the positive cycle. The negative cycle is I find myself in this uh, from time to time and you're probably not because you're just not like that. But, you know, mimetic desire leads to rivalry and conflict. You know, when you see somebody like from high school and you're like, hey, fuck that guy. You know, he's got this and that. Uh, I, I try to really limit myself because you need to celebrate success. You need to root for people in success. But that's an example where people see something and they're jealous. That's the best way, I think, to put this. I agree. I mean, even to go back to your original, what you, what you quoted walking into the subject is social media. I love social media, but I understand it's, it's got its boundaries and it's, it's literally, everyone talks about it being fake. Well, it is fake. It's filtered. I mean, that's the point of it. And you get to see the glorified versions of everything you want everyone to see, even though that's not the life you live. And even the best of all of us, you know, the Hugh Hefner, the Dan Bilzerian types, if you revere them, like still aren't living it that up that well. It, it's an interesting thing. Cause once you realize people's attention span and you that's why i talk about tiktok a little bit like it is the ultimate mimesis game like it is feeding you everything you want to see in like eight to ten second clips it's crazy and it's just go ahead i was just gonna say i don't necessarily think tiktok's a pure form of mimesis it's just the way it presents the the information or the the content and so right here one of the reasons social media is so addicting is because it like a slot machine, it leverages the power of variable rewards. You never know what you're going to get. Every time we refresh the page, something interesting or alluring might pop up. So when you say, all right, TikTok's really addicting. Well, for me, Twitter's really addicting because I see that like I'm looking for information to find something to trade off of. Then why is Bitcoin going to do this? What business tactic is there? Uh, what information from Russia and Ukraine is out there? Like I, I am constantly refreshing, trying to find new information where I've recently cut myself off uh, specifically on my cell phone. I won't, I won't touch it on my cell phone for the next month to see how things are. Uh, and it was great. You know, an example, like, I had an hour. I was done. I ate dinner and I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like typically I just sit here and scroll on the internet for an hour. And I was like, well, let me go see what else needs to be done around the house. And oh, man, we'll load the dishwasher, do this, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, this is way more just hoping that I find something. But that's an example of what social media does. And then the reason mimesis works is because it builds these models and we see people that we either want to emulate or we're pissed off at and we're jealous of. Yeah. I mean, you just, I agree with you. I mean, you just chose the positive spin on this one and I'm, I'm all for it. I, I love social media equally for those reasons. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's a, it's a place where you have cohorts of people that you want to have like-minded types of thought and some experience on that you can go to and learn all about finance. I mean, that's exactly, this is basically that's what Bitcoin is for us, right? We go to Twitter and social media and we find all the Bitcoin people that are talking about it and talking about the technology and the progression of it. And, and then, you know, there's some that just try to strike down the haters who hate Bitcoin and uh, the, it's the Ethereum crowd, but more or less, like those are the type of cohorts that we go to in social media that have all this positive action. There's then there's the other version of it. That's smut. <laughs> 
Which, I mean, this is a fun place to be, too, but you can't get locked up there. Yeah, no, well, well, yeah, well put. I, I was kind of reading ahead to see where we would transition a little bit, so I apologize. I kind of <laughs> died a little bit on the conversation. No, I love the positive version of all of that stuff. I mean, I, I think social media has so much value and free information out there. Some of it's fake, but you can weed yourself through it. You can find the smart people. Here's a, here's a really good one where it talks about values and desires. And I catch myself in this situation, you know, uh, for example, imagine you value time with your family above everything else. When a buddy invites you to a cool party, you've promised the kids to do a game night. You're going to choose the game night because it's your value. You're not letting your desires pull you. I have this where if I do have a specific friend or a couple of friends that invite me that want to go and I'm like, Oh babe, we're supposed to do dinner tonight. I have actually chosen to go out with friends when I shouldn't have. So I've, I not that I shouldn't have, but I did actually, that, that is what I'm letting desires run my you know, situation here instead of the values. When I do value a specific thing, you have to execute on your values. And that's where it's, it's kind of tough to say, all right, what is what? And if you're following, if, if your, if your models are a little wonky and they don't match up with your values, it'll come out, you know, time will, you know, expose everyone in that situation. Are you saying right now that your current value system is she does your wife amazing as she is ranks like third on the pendulum of if this person asks it takes precedent? No, she's definitely number one, but I've made the mistake a few times, and it's good. It's a good mistake to make. I understand. Oh wow, yeah. If you if you say these things, then here's what you're showing versus what you're saying. Yeah, fool me once, shame on me. I'm with you, man. I, I agree. This is a great place to be. I mean, this this is altered throughout the years. I'd say the current values my current value system is different than it was even five years ago. One, because of a family, a house, a career. Also, I just like, don't, I mean, you're, I'm smarter today. So I, I just, there's a lot more. I don't care about. I think the more you learn and the more, you know, the less you care about things that just are just so arbitrary. And so just beyond your control. You, that's what, that's what teenagers are for. The big thing is, is you're just smart. Yeah. You go back to, you're just smarter and you have more yeah. experience and you understand like, all right, this isn't, Life's going to go on. It's going to yeah. be fine. Like, I've seen you know this what? movie before. My wife actually called me out. She's like, sometimes I just think you do these things. Like you just do what you want to do. And you're like, I'll just deal with the consequences later. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah there's That's the highest form of a compliment, by the way. Uh, I'll like, All right, here, I can, I'll get myself out of this. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's just two weeks. That's it. It's just two weeks. Yeah. The, the, the thing I really liked in this book, of course, is how it, it it comes to like you know what it means to be anti-mimetic i mean and what school is like yeah i could i run my life that's what that means uh it talks about being anti-mimetic is having the ability the freedom to counteract destructive forces of desire one i just listed a destructive force of desire and an example so it's like how do i sit there and, and and be able to kind of control that and i thought that was really cool i mean what would you rate yourself on being anti-mimetic uh, out of what my one out of five one oh, out of ten ten yeah, the uh, rating scale whatever you want ten one ten, out of ten being ten being anti one being i don't know probably like a four three four i mean i'm still influenced heavily and a lot of it's you know your job day to day you still need cash flow to do the things you want and explore i mean i a lot of things i really want to do but i'm not really peer pressured all that much what about you uh being anti-memetic you know, I think 10 being anti, which means you run your life. I think I'm, I think I'm about like a six. Yeah. There's definitely things that I've like modeled and I, I just run after that because that person's doing it. But I really, as I've definitely the last several months, I've been like, ah, you know, I don't really need to do that. I mean, I recently bought a nice watch and that was probably, there was some mimetic desire in there. <laughs> um, as you, advance in your career and especially mine i definitely noticed a lot of medic desire but that stuff's starting to fade and you just really want to i said like what what drives you at work what would i if i asked you what drives you at work uh it's success like when you go to, when i see a successful campaign i i'm driven by the momentum it can cause and i can speak about this in a longer setting if you wanted to but basically you start working really hard and once you start to feel the fruits of your labor that becomes your expectation and when you get people working at that level, like the success of it is, it's a, there's a euphoria to it. I used to feel it in athletics when I was running like a flawless football game. You're like, there's a euphoria to being at the top and like doing something at a really high level with a team of people. So success, I would say, and the momentum of that success on the project two, three, four, and getting like seven projects in. 
you answered the question I was going to ask is what, what success to you? And you answered it very clearly. Mm-hmm. I think for, for me, what, what drives me is yeah. Making money was nice and moving up in the, in the company and the hierarchical of the organization was great, but it's really transitioned to now I'm looking back like, Oh, why do I like this job so much? And I'm like, Oh, it's because I accomplished that. And I did something that people didn't think was necessarily possible. Oh, and then I did this, which people thought was a problem for a very long time. Oh, and then I did this, which people were annoyed. Why weren't we doing this? And it's like, I started knocking out these bugaboos, these just like lingering things. Like, why is this a problem? And I'm like, all right, well, I'll figure it out. I'll figure out why the problem is. I, I the, And the thing that has really got me going is, uh, a, a friend at work, a colleague at work, you know, we're sitting there drinking and he just, he, he, you know, after you hit a drink and the drinks fly, he just goes, look, he just looks at me. We, and we kind of butted heads early on in my career, but he just looks at me and just, dude, I love you. No, like, seriously, man, you were one of the few people that I feel like I can just trust. And for someone and where we were at our, in, in the relationship several years ago, for him to say that it just shows, it shows how much I've evolved and really tried to listen to people. And that to me was like, that was a really cool moment. And I think that's what drives me is you know, really relating to people, but then having them respect you and still being able to push them to be great and, and, and not just settle for a oh, well, job. Okay. Done. Yeah. I mean, that comes with age experience, wisdom. There's a lot of that goes, a lot goes into that to understand you make a mind shift in a company that you're working for at a certain point where you eventually say like, all right, this person's not leaving. I got to figure out how to work with them. Even if I don't like them and I don't want to get a beer with them, I need to figure out how to get what I want from them and still give them value in exchange because it's going to help the global good. And you become more career oriented and you're less sensitive to all the, the noise that you think you should be listening to when you're in your twenties. This is a perfect segment to, for us to move into it's, it's sympathy, empathy, and mimesis and how they all play together. You know, sympathy means, feeling together. Our emotions fuse with those of the person we sympathize with. We see things from their perspective. A certain degree of agreement is implied. Uh, you know, it's being kind of like, like-minded and if like-minded people typically get along better than not like, you know, yeah. liberals and Republicans aren't going to get along if they've had too many beers. Let's just be honest. <laughs> no, I mean, people, two people who got fired from the same employer, this is a good, they could sympathize with each other. I mean, or two people who got hired from the same employer, what have you. I mean, this is a pretty easy one. You just, you just feel the amount of death is a common one. You feel sympathy for someone or empathy, I guess, depending on if you've well, seen this it. This is where empathy is a little different. Empathy is the ability to share in another person's experience with, but without imitating them and without identifying with them to the point that the one's own individuality and self-possession are lost. I mean, you're not mimicking them. You're, you're just, Oh, wow. That's uh, you're able to basically view it from a third party and able to comment and relate to them in that, that form. Yeah. We do this all with each other's careers, just talking through certain levels of it and just being like, Hey, that's how I handled it. And then you just kind of marry some thoughts together. And obviously we take our own approaches to it, which seems successful today. (laughs) Yeah, you could step into their shoes without adopting their desires. Mm-hmm. That's one thing that's that's really important through the empathy. You know, it goes back to developing relationships with people. You've got to have these two skills. You got to be able to sympathize with people, and you got to be able to have empathy for them. I, I know for for me, when I was younger, and I still do this a lot, uh, even with my friends, it comes out, and that's where I kind of let, let it loose. But I am an anti-consensus person meaning uh, <laughs> basically if you bring something to me i'm probably gonna take the opposite side like yeah well mm-hmm. yeah, yeah like i find myself being a yeah rush uh, a putin apologist like that. i'm like well that's not actually I, okay guys i'm not on his side but i'm just saying you're saying all these things well these things could be true too all right don't be don't be getting in your black hole here yeah right. you're just a combative uh salesman who i love it i love the approach i appreciate it it helps people understand your not even your side you just want them to understand the other side you're probably often on their side you just like to argue i love that aspect of you that's hilarious I, to me I, I don't do it as much anymore especially in the work environment i sometimes i just don't say anything i'm just like ah there's this 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 battle it doesn't need to be won this isn't something i need i don't need to die on this hill I'm like ah you can have this one i don't i don't care you just yeah, create sky's whatever color you want it to be cool doesn't, doesn't matter in my life at all. Just creating discomfort in everyone's life in the office. Yeah. <laughs> so, this guy's green wear, today, sure. Why do we wear pants in the office? No, actually, we don't. We wear we wear shorts. The reason we actually call these pants shorts or shorts or pants. You know, that, that's something I'll get into. That's what I, that, the old Josh we get into. The old Josh. 
I hardly even wear a white collar shirt anymore. Look at you. No, no, it's you're nice. Like, ex, you're like uh, Bobby Axelrod just wearing uh, hoodies into the office. Just crushing uh, like, I don't care. Just a nice sleek, nice, sleek Lululemon bottom with uh, just a maybe a quarter zip or a hoodie. There you go. That's I big know. time. Big time. I wear. Hey, I, I don't. I wear polos. I'm golf golf polo guy. <laughs> polos. Yeah, I've been to Pebble Beach. What? What do you say? Huh? Uh, I went to your head. I went to your headquarters the other day. It's fancy. Yeah, I mean, I I thought not, there was going to be a fountain outside. There wasn't. It's not our headquarters. That's just one of our flagship facilities. The, the sister branch. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our headquarters is just a corporate office building, floor number three. Uh, love Seven it. Seven people sit there. Um, all right, so move, continue to move on. It talks about also like prestige and like the illusion of prestige. And, you know, the more you seek it, the more time you'll be looking for the next mark of respect or admiration for others and the less time you'll you'll be spending on what actually fulfills you. So if we were so set on, oh, we need to have the best title, we need to have this and we need to have that, we would be lost in what success meant. I think we both have clear expectations of what success means to us. If we're just chasing a prestigious title and to be fancy and like, oh yeah, look at me, I'm a VP of blah, blah, blah. I think we would lose that and and we wouldn't be as successful as I I think we have been early on. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I dropped that narrative probably going into this job and far before that is like you get to the top quick enough and that's not what you thought it was you need to make a change like you're still curious you still want to learn you want to do other things um this actually brings us into two two schools of thought and one i've heard from you recently that i've actually i've heard quite a bit the older i get the first one is calculating thought and the second one is meditation thought you want to pick one of those and expand on it i'm gonna i'll I'll go on the calculating thought first because it's just how I think both of us think. That's how I think for sure. You're you're constantly searching, but we're always thinking this way. And and the next one will be interesting, really good conversation. But calculating thought is constantly searching, seeking, plotting, how to reach an objective, what we just talked about, how to reach our version of success to get from point A to B, from point A to point B, to beat the stock market, to get good grades, to win an argument. Those are the dominant form of thought in modern society. It leads to the endless pursuit of objectives, meaning, oh, I'm going to get that G-Wagon and I'm going to be cool and I'm going to do this. Well, that That's how we think. We think, how are we going to get from step one, A, B, to, you know, one, two, three, four? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about 95, 99% of the time this is what this is. It's essentially how I, I book my life. I go to work, I make like a 10 to 15 things that you do that day. You try to carve out a handful of, time, a handful of minutes throughout the course of the day to get through those and if you get those done then you're on to the next one on to the next to the ultimate goal which you know resets every year of making whatever your numbers are right 10 20 30 million dollars for the company everyone has their own metrics but that's just from my everyday current the rest of it's just at home when i'm at my job all these things that i'm prioritizing in my mind to fix to finish to get to the end result which is you know a done bathroom buy a hot tub uh go on a vacation whatever those things that i desire uh, it's a capitalistic mindset, in my opinion. It's just how do you run over your competition to get what you want? More. How do you win? That's all it is. How do you win? Yeah, it's a game. It's you versus them. There's no ties. Break it down. What's this next form of thought? Meditation thought. It's patient thought. It's not the same as meditation. Meditative thought is simply slow, non-productive thought. Uh, it's not reactionary. It's the kind of thought that upon hearing news or experiencing something surprising, doesn't immediately look for solutions. So... Instead, it asks a series of questions that help the the asker sink down further into the reality. So what is this new situation? What is behind it? Meditative thought is patient enough to allow the truth and reveal itself. Uh, it's just a slower, pragmatic way of thinking. I, I, I commonly hear about this thought in billionaires, billionaires and, and multimillionaires. Uh, the, way you, the way they talk in rooms or one-on-one is often slow. Uh, to help control the conversation and kind of keep it on their wavelength and make sure that they're not saying too much without saying too much. Uh, It's really a higher level of thought, like the slower down you go, uh, you're always heard, you're always articulated and you control the pace of the conversation. And it's just a higher way of uh, sales, arguing, getting what you want. I don't know. What do you think about it? I think a simpler way to put this is the calculating thought. If you ask that person a question, they're always going to have an answer. The meditative thought will be pondering it, will be 
you know, if they don't, meaning if they don't know the answer right away, they're going to be thinking of it. They're going to be pondering it. They're going to be just, I don't need to give you an answer right now. I don't need to solve the problem, but it's interesting. Let me think about it a little bit longer and I don't have the answer. Let me, let me go figure out what I think the right play is. Uh, I, now that, you know, we brought this up, I actually realized this triggered a couple situations I've had with younger employees coming to me, asking me things that I don't have the answer to right away. Like, Oh, this employee in the warehouse, he says he's kind of bored and he's learned everything he can learn. I'm like, huh, let me, let me just, let me sleep on this for the weekend. And these things just kind of ponder. And I just think about them. And I think that's more the meditative thought. I'm, I'm sure there's an example. Can, is there anything you can think of in, in your life or career yeah i mean a lot of it work is a great place with it right i I don't know all the answers and i i definitely if i don't know and have clarity i'll I'll wait i'll get a good night's sleep or i'll go home and i'll change my thought i'll change my environment i'll go play basketball i'll do something where i can reset my mind and think about it later on like this time of the hour like 9 30 to we'll call it like 10 30 11 it's like my my downloading time i download all the information in my mind that I learned from that day or absorb that day. And then I just kind of pick through it and figure out what's right. Right. I know it's like a weird process, but I can do that while I'm like working at this computer, like talking to you right now on this, I'm getting value, just re rehashing out a book that I read two months ago and be like, oh, yeah, I did remember that. That's a pretty cool idea. Calculating thought, meditative thought, you know, when I'm at work, I should think about it. just slow down, just, you know, let the answers come to you, let them just stumble upon the answer, let the experience hit you or just uh, wait until you have the answer. Or if you don't have an answer, uh, I mean, then you go calculative thought and you have to come up with an answer, <laughs> I assume, right? Uh, but it's a great way of thinking. And I don't meditate at all. And I think I need to start doing it more because when you do silence your mind, I've done it and it was healthy, at least for the short time being. You, have you ever tried yeah, meditating? I, mean, I think the big thing is like meditation isn't, you know, meditative thought, but they're, you know, they're next to each other and how you approach situations, being able to quiet your mind you're not looking, oh, what's the answer? Once you get, oh, it's probably this or that, or maybe it could be this, could be that. I think that's what calculative thought is. And meditative thought is just like, hmm, interesting. It reminds me of Silicon Valley, like the weird, rich billionaire investors. Always like, oh, well, that is peculiar. <laughs> um, okay. I'm not sure. Just the way they're kind of like a little quirky. If you think about mm-hmm. Elon Musk, if you listen to an interview with him, it is kind of nauseating. God, spit it out already, guy. But he's thinking through and he's being a little bit more patient, diligent in how he's going to approach a question. Yeah. 20 second lapse time before he speaks is, I mean, that's the definition of meditative thought, right? Yeah, absolutely. So as, as we, close out here you know there's it lists like 15 tactics or takeaways look at this recap did this for us nicely what are what are some things that that you've really focused on that you've really taken from this book that you've tried to apply in your life uh one uh the first one it talks about is naming your models i think it's a good place i mean you being one of them obviously you have a large influence i talk to you a lot we speak about finance and bitcoin we're friends we drink a lot we do a lot of the same hobbies we have a lot of the same uh, where we want to be in life, just different kind of accessories. You love golf. I love certain, you know, like we just have, we're going about it in a different way, but at the same goal, uh, finding out who my models were, you know, my wife is another one. There's some business people I work towards. I'd say there's about five or six strong models that you kind of craft yourself and be like, all right, if you're on, if you're in this setting, you can bring value to these five people, six people, and they're also bringing value to you. Uh, it's better to be in that setting. We all have negative friends, right? If you ever have a negative friend uh, and this person's an influence on your life, this is a negative influence on your life. That's why you're always thinking down on yourself. What you always say, you know, you're, what do you say? You're a collection of all the people you're around you. Something to that degree. So I think naming my models is one, because sometimes you have to sit back and be like, oh, who are the info? Who do you talk to a lot? And who are your influences as you're going through your day, your course of action? You wake up at seven, you go, you go to bed at 11. Like, what are you doing throughout the day? And who are you interacting with? They're ultimately shaping you. What about you? Naming the models is incredibly important. It kind of goes back to you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Um, so really, you know, calling that environment into a, a position where, all right, how do we make sure? What are we modeling? What are we following? What are we looking for? What are we desiring in our life? 
and understand why we desire that. And I think there's, there's been some situations where I've caught myself like, yeah, it's not, I, to be honest, reading this book and then the next book I'm going to mention to you that I think you should read. Maybe we'll discuss that one. It's like, man, I am I, I, this book. And it's just like, Oh, well, that's why you want that. It's not important. Stop yeah. it. Like I'm a, <laughs> we're going to lose company cars here real soon. Uh, I yeah. think of my company and I'm going to buy my own car, which I haven't done in seven years. Like every, every part of me wants to go out and buy a Mercedes, a really nice car and do this. But I'm like, there's no reason. Like just yeah. go out and buy a used Ford Explorer. Done. Like just do that or a Toyota Highlander or a RAV4 and be done with it because that's the prudent thing to do. The reason you want to do that other stuff is so people look at you, think you're cool, but that's not cool. That's lame. Yeah. You've told me, you've told me your plan before about, you know, getting the house on the hill and having all this and retiring by mid forties and just kind of working for yourself. And you have all these just philanthropic, uh, some nonprofit, some clearly for-profit ideas. And then when you say, you know, I want, you know, a Tesla tomorrow, it's like, Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. you had this dream, right? The Tesla's not it's just going to diverge that dream two more years. You shouldn't want to do that. Now you can have a Tesla when it's better, cheaper, uh, in 10 years when you do have the house on the hills, stick to the plan, stick to the plan. This is where it leads me right into the next thing that I'm trying to focus on. There's probably two things that I've taken away is establish and like communicate to myself what my hierarchy or values are being able to understand. And this is like a really good confidence booster, um, understanding your values, but knowing what's important in life. And that way when things come and they're conflicted, this one proceeds. This one supersedes everything. Like, yes, sorry. I already, I already know which one to check the, check the box off on. I'm doing this because that's what's important. So really ironing out the hierarchy of the values and the desires. Example, you just said, hey, well, you talk about this, but then you talk about that. Okay, well, what's more important? And let's put the more important stuff up higher. And with that is how to figure out what's important is a very big challenge. Um, and this is where practice meditative thought and meditation. An example here is like, try staring at a tree for one hour. Just let your mind wander, resist the urge to do anything, but look, but look at the tree and let your, th your thoughts flow. This is one of the reasons why I deleted Twitter is, well, I just run to it whenever I'm like, all right, well, I don't have anything to do. Bang, Twitter. Here's the example of the day. I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to sit in here and I don't have anything to do and I'm not going to get on Twitter. And I'm like, this is kind of nice, actually. It's kind of chill. Like you can process, you just let your, your brain like take a breath instead of just processing and being pounded with more dopamine hits that social media provides. So it was really, those are the, you know, those last two things. And the, the third thing going to help me establish the second thing, which is the hierarchy of values through understanding what's really desirable through meditative thought and meditation. They're good thoughts. You could just say you're giving it up for Lent as you resurface into Catholicism and all that. So yeah, I just make sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I believe you. It seems like you uh, you've seen the positive spin on letting go of some of that dopamine hit and just just being and being present and having your thoughts not just be convoluted with all this just you know bells and lights and ringing and just everything, right? All the things that you love and desire: information, tech, finance, beautiful what women. <laughs> what, what i've noticed is you know i crave that information and knowing what's going on yeah and i realize okay well if i'm not going to get the small dopamine hits of twitter along with that information i'm going to have to be more intentional and in going and finding what's important to me so it's like all right well i really like these people i'm going to go to their website or um i think when i return to twitter it's going to be cold and it's going to be a very thin thin group of people that i follow and that way i can go directly to them because i want to see what their opinion is of a situation or what they're thinking through and how they're addressing situations, particularly in the markets. Um, but it's going to be a much, you have had to be much more intentional of what I'm going out to seek. And it, what I'm finding myself, it's long form. So I can't just get that. Oh, I don't like that. Keep scrolling. Oh, I don't, I have to go through, I have to read it, I have to process it and look at it from a different light instead of just like, Oh, funny cat video. Oh, little quip. Oh, breaking stuff like that. I like your, your Twitter trajectory of, you know, how you're viewing it, where you kind of get more followers, more followers, more followers. Now you're following less, following less, following less. And it's just, you know, an arc to some degree. I would say those are good examples. I mean, outside of the one I told you, name your models, I would say use imitation to drive innovation is something that is very prevalent in my life. I'm for sure, because I know it's, 
defined as often the path to innovation and original thinking is accelerated by first imitating something that already exists. This is easy for me because growing up, I was the third of three boys and I just watched the first two boys literally screw up and screw up. I mean, just make every dumb decision you can think from both of them not really even being able to walk at the high school degree because they did something ridiculous in their own set of accords. So like watching and seeing by example of what not to do made it easier to do all the right things. It's kind of like playing squid games and you're the last guy to go in the glass. If you Have you seen Squid Games? No, but I know the premise. Yeah, the general idea is you have to go through all these games. Well, like if you're the last one to play in some of them, it's easier because everyone else is dying. So you get to just kind of walk across yourself. One of the examples. But, you know, as a younger brother, you get to see the, old, the, two, young, the two older screw up a lot. So you know what not to do. Uh, and it was really easy to just, all right, let's just take all the things they're doing right and build on that. And I'll be far more successful later on because I didn't have to, I mean, you eventually hit your own roadblocks. We had less of them because because you just imitated current existing models that are, that are working. That's an easy way for my life to say that. And then in turn, you know, you go into jobs and you start to mirror people that are successful at the jobs and their systems and their habits and how they effectively get through an eight hour day by giving, you know, 10 to 12 hours of work and, uh, becoming efficient is a good way of doing this as well. I think I'm addicted to efficiency because I always want to do more and more and more. And me and you keep saying this to each other. It's like, how do I have to drop something? Something has to drop. Well, the more efficient you get, you can do all those things and you won't do them well, but you get to do them all. So efficiency is a way that in my mind, you know, you imitate current habits and, and mannerisms to eventually drive uh, better performance on yourself. I, I, I like the, the imitation thing because it makes it a very, very compelling what you just said is you can try to do new things um but you're gonna waste your you're gonna waste your time trying a bunch of new things and i'm not saying don't try new things i'm yeah. I'm, I'm talking about performance like you could oh i'm gonna do it completely different and somewhere that someone else has never done it before well, okay well now that doesn't work out very well and now you have to restart from square one it's basically don't try to you know don't try to rebuild reinvent the wheel is is essentially the 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 proverb that would describe that very well is stay and stay in a lane all right don't do that because they're messing up. don't do that but, the, but they're doing this let's just keep doing a little bit more of that in the corporate world it's just turnkey that's what they call it find something that you can make turnkey and just repeatable and you get the same result every time and it's really good just keep doing that and then that use that and a model for yourself as you're operating certain areas of life like you when you're dealing with investing or when you're dealing with your current job or like looking for houses like make that make that process repeatable so you can find the opportunity quicker I like it. I like it a lot. What do you think? You I, want to close this down? I, I, I've, I think we've covered a lot here. I think it's been a good conversation. I don't think we need to cover anymore. I think mimesis, you know, it's the, the art of knowing what you want and why you want it. Actually, the art of knowing why you want something is the way I would frame the title. Um, and all we're doing is we're trying to learn a little bit about ourselves, learn how to get better, and hopefully we get a little lucky. Because luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So get ready. <laughs>